Well, I don't know about you, but this time of year, I always want to say, Happy New Year. <laughs> it always feels that way. I was a trained teacher, and I love this time of year. And yes, I did school shopping. I have no one to give those school supplies to, but I have new colored pencils. I love this time of year. This is the time of year, it's almost as if we get two New Year's, right? You got that January thing when we need a little bit of a boost because of winter. But September always feels like a new year to me. And especially when we transition from the park into the school, when we start thinking about what a new ministry year will look like after we've been on vacation, it feels like Happy New Year. So Happy New Year. I love new beginnings. For most of us, this is an opportunity for us to sit and think, what will this ministry year look like? Are there places that God is calling me to serve or to participate in? Maybe this will be the year that you try a small group. Maybe this will be a year that you say, I'd like to help out with hospitality or in kids' ministry. What new beginnings has God been laying on your heart after a summer of rest, relaxation, rejuvenation, and the opportunity for all of us, even as adults, to think about what does God have in store for us this coming year? The way we want to usher in this new ministry season is to think about promises. We're going to be looking at both promising things, being promised things, and living into promises. So promises, promises, promises. And the reason we're looking at promises is because one of the ways that we reflect God in this world is that we have the capacity to make promises to each other. Every time we gather as a community, we kind of live into that promise that says, we're here for each other. Today, we celebrated one of our own who has lived into that promise by serving us well. Who is God calling us, which one of us here maybe, to live into that promise to serve others as well? We're going to use the book of Ruth. You just heard the whole story told delightfully by those children. We're going to talk about what hope results from promises. Promises often elicit this feeling of, there's possibility. Something new is happening. Someone is going to stand beside me. And most importantly, how do God's promises give us hope? What impact do his promises have on us so that we can be promise keepers to each other? So I'm going to read Ruth 1. And I'm going to encourage you during the week to keep reading this book. It's a lovely book. It is a well-written book. It is a marvel of narrative. So if you're a reader, I would read the whole book for the next three weeks. But if you want to kind of stay up with things, I would encourage you during this week at least to focus on chapters 2 and 3. Today we're going to look at Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. That man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. 
When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by by providing food for them back in Bethlehem, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, you go back, each of it, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. They said to her, we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than it is for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara means bitterness. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's word. So one of the challenges I find whenever I preach somewhere is sometimes weeks ahead of time, even before I've actually had time to sit with the scripture, the bulletin person or the worship coordinator wants a title. And I hate giving titles. Titles are hard to do because titles are supposed to summarize what it is that you're going to speak about. And I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes a sermon isn't cooked until Saturday night. So the title that I give often doesn't match what the scripture's been talking about because it hasn't had time to cook. If I would entitle this particular sermon, I would just put a question mark. Because this first chapter of the story really raises a lot of questions. It's all about very deep, life-changing questions. It introduces us to the tensions that we have in life, the questions that we live with all the time, the questions that our friends live with all the time. And the first question that we have to ask, that this story invites us to ask is, where is God? 
Where is God in this story? Oftentimes we see God's name and within the first few verses, but this story really focuses on Ruth. It's even called the book of Ruth. But if we just stop and look at Ruth and only focus on her, we'll miss the whole point of this story. If we only look at Ruth and this incredible love story that the children talked about so well in the video, we will miss the even more incredible love story of a God who promises to stay with us forever, no matter what. So one of the things I want to encourage you, and I've probably said this before and you're sick of hearing it, but whenever you read scripture, always ask yourself, where is God in this? Because God is always the main character. And if we can find where he is working in the story, we'll always be on the right track as we read the story. This not only is God's story, it's a balcony story. It's not just a story about three women who find themselves in dire straits. Not only a story about Israel who finds itself in dire straits after a famine. It talks to us about all of us who have been separated from God who find ourselves in dire straits. It's a balcony story because this story is going to eventually point to Jesus who will save us from being foreigners from God's love. This story points to some big questions and some big answers about how faithful God can be even when we are not faithful to him. So we ask ourselves, where is he in the story? He seems to be in the background. When he's mentioned, it doesn't talk about how God talks to Ruth and gives her directions on how to be a promise bearer. It doesn't talk about God talking to Naomi and saying, it's time for you to come home. No, where do we hear God? We hear God in a blessing and in a curse. As if God is somewhat of a memory in Naomi's life but not someone she's talking directly to or in relationship with right now. What was the blessing? She blesses those two daughters-in-law and says, thank you so much for being so kind to me. May God bless you and be kind to you, even though you may not recognize him as your God because you're from Moab. May God, my God, bless you the way you have blessed me in your friendship and the way you've cared for me. So God is part of a blessing But then what does she say when she comes home? She thinks of God within a curse. She sees herself as being cursed. She sees herself as one for whom God has turned his face because she comes back empty. She comes back a widow. She comes back with no hope. God seems to be in the background. And that's a significant thing to think about because the story of Ruth happens during the time of the judges. We learn about that at the very beginning of the story. And do you know the stories of the judges? There's an incredible pattern of stories in the judges where people of Israel do what is right in their own eyes. They live as if God doesn't matter. They have a pattern of forgetting who God is. They have a pattern of demanding from God a king. And God says, no, I am your king. And as soon as he doesn't deliver the king, the person that they want, they go off and do their own thing. They follow foreign gods. And here's what the pattern looks like. The people do evil in the sight of the Lord. They forget their Lord, and the Lord turns away in anger and lets them deal with the consequences of following foreign gods. 
those consequences, this is, if you read the book of Judges, it is a brutal book. It is not an easy book to read. They're constantly fighting other people in the land of Israel. They're constantly trying to push back marauders who are stealing from them all the time. And so the people cry out, God, where are you? We thought you brought us to the land of milk and honey, and we don't know where you are. You seem to be in the background all the time. And the Lord hears their cries, and he appoints a judge. And while the judge judges, there is peace. Sometimes there is peace for 30, 40, 50 years. Sometimes only for a few years. And as soon as that judge dies, what happens? The pattern starts all over again. We want a king. Give us what we want. If you're not going to give us what we want, and they go their own way, they cry out, and God has to save them again. And here's the question. Here's the question that the story of Ruth poses to all of us. Will God listen to our cries? Will he hear us? Will he save us, even if it's we who've turned our back on him? You know, it's one thing to say, if God had instigated and said, I am no longer going to deal with you people anymore, he would have every right but he constantly comes back. How long will the patience of God be, the people wonder? How many times will he continue to turn back and say, I am your God, you are my people? Will he continue to hear our pleas? Will he be faithful to his promises even in the face of our unfaithfulness? That's the question that Ruth asks. Will he keep his promises even when we do not keep ours? And the people wonder, will he end this famine? So what's interesting about this story is that Moab, the country that Elimelech and his wife Naomi and sons go to, they're sworn enemies of Israel. So it is odd and almost a hint of kind of thumbing their nose at God by saying, we'll go find help among our enemies rather than rely on our God. They will go off to Moab which is a land that does not produce a whole lot of of grain. It's a steppe country. It's semi-desert. It doesn't have the capacity to produce grain. Bethlehem is where all the grain is produced. They left where there was hope, and they went to the enemy and said, maybe there's hope here. There's a hint of kind of treachery going on in this story. Will God still love this family, even though they have turned their back on God? There's a hint of betrayal, and it reminds us that pattern that sometimes we even have of saying, I followed you yesterday, you disappointed me, I think I'll go my own way today. And I know that each one of us have struggled with that at one time or another in our lives. How long will God put up with that pattern? How great is the patience of God? How limitless? There's a lot riding on whether or not God ends the famine and provides grain for Israel. There's a lot riding on whether God will welcome this family who went to Moab to find rest and restoration. Will God welcome them back? And then there's the biggest question in here, I think. Who are we without God? Who are we without God? And when you look at these three women, they are the poorest of the poor. 
Without a husband, without sons, Naomi has no one to take care of her. She has no hope. She has hunger. She has a fear for the future. She has two daughters-in-law who are willing to support her, but all of them as widows and people without men in their life are very, very vulnerable. I think the picture that Ruth paints for each one of us is a picture that says, without God, you're as vulnerable as these three widows. Without God, you have less of a future than these three widows. Without God, there is no hope. That is what Ruth is trying, this book of Ruth is trying to paint for all of us. Who are we without God? We're empty, we're hungry, we're hopeless, and we're homeless. And this is especially true for Naomi. At least she says to her daughters-in-law, go back to Moab. At least in Moab, you've got families. At least in Moab, maybe you have brothers or a father who can take care of you. At least in Moab, you might have a hope of a future. I'm not going to ask you to be a stranger. Now they would be enemies in enemy territory. She blesses them by saying, go home. It will be safer for you there. Who are we without God? We are enemies of God. We are in a land that doesn't, doesn't accept us. We are vulnerable, the story says. But here's the thing. When Ruth says to Naomi, I am going to go with you. I'm going to stay with you. I am going to let your people be my people. Your God, my God. That's the first glimmer of hope in a very hopeless situation. When Ruth follows her mother-in-law into new territory, she makes a promise to go with Naomi, even unto death. And she makes that promise because she knows that the promise is promising. Think about it. See, look what I'm doing here. She says, if I follow you to a God who can take famine and create food, who can take care of a people who have turned their back on him, if I follow you and say your God will be my God, there is more hope for me there than going back to my own family. I see promise in the promise that I'm making to you. She places herself in a place of hope. She places her hope in a promise-keeping God. And she says, I'm going to throw my lot in with you, in a God who seems to be patient again and again in receiving back those who have walked away from him. She dares to see if God will love her even as a foreigner. She dares to say, God, is your love as great as I think it is for even someone like me, an enemy of your people? Ruth is a picture for all of us because we were all once far from God. We were all once foreigners. Ruth reminds us that God reached beyond all the boundaries that we saw and extended his promise of love and mercy and faithfulness even to each one of us here. These are questions I think that people even ask today. I think people around us all the time are asking, where is God? Picked up the newspaper this morning and you you hear about the earthquake and you hear about hurricanes 
and you see some of the political weirdness that's going on in the United States. And don't you want to just say, where is God? And when I ask that question, I know the answer. I know the end of the story. Imagine your friends and neighbors who may not know the Jesus that gives us the answer. Imagine them asking that same question, where is God? We need to start telling that story. People are asking those questions. I think each one of us wonders at one time or another, will he keep his promises to me? Will he still love me even if? Even if I turn my back on him, will he still reach out to me and pull me back home? And I think there's probably not one of us here who hasn't had a moment and said, who am I without God? How could I live without him? Who am I without Jesus' love who brought me back into relationship with God my Father? We live in a world that asks every day, I think, is there any hope? Is there any hope for us for this world? And here's the answer. Ruth says, there's promise. There's promise in a God who's a promise keeper. There's hope in a God who continually gives hope through Jesus Christ, his son. There is a future in him, and he invites us to share that future with him. I wonder what God is asking us to promise him today as we think about new beginnings and moving into new direction. I wonder if we could say, and we could invite others into saying, God, through Jesus, you will be my God. Your people will be my people. And where you go, I will go. May that be something that we can say with Ruth. And may that be something that we can extend as a promising promise to the people around us, our friends, our co-workers, and our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to imagine the chaos that Israel was in back in the time of Judges, and yet we know very well the chaos that surrounds us now. We ask, Lord, that we can image your promise-making and promise-keeping, that we can reflect it, that we can make a promise to you knowing that even when we sometimes turn our backs, when we disappoint you, when we do things that are so other than what you expect from us, that your patience and your mercy and your loving kindness will still accept us back home. And when people look at us as a community, may we be a community of promise makers, promise keepers, and ones who point the way to the one who made the most important promise of all. I will send my son, I will send a savior, a Messiah, to save you. I can do it and I will do it because I love this world so much. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.